Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Open your Bibles up to Genesis 12. I have no introduction. I'm going to read the passage and then go right into it. So Genesis 12, 10 through 20. There's so much in this passage I, I want to discuss with you. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10, going through verse 20, it says this. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dwelt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. This particular sermon I have entitled, Our Desperate Measures meet a determined God. Here's here's the main idea. If I can encapsulate this passage for you, encourage you to to think in this particular direction as we walk through these verses. As we we think about what the Scripture is speaking to us today, here's the thesis, I believe. You might, we might, be able to justify our sin as necessary due to our circumstances. But only a holy God is powerful enough to carry out his plan. You see, what we see happening in these first set of verses in in chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, we see Abram and his family and the great amount of people traveling with him start out in a very bad situation, one that most of us would call a desperate situation. In the previous text, they had left Haran, And they traveled on into Canaan. During their journey, they find themselves in the midst of a famine. And the text doesn't say that it's just any famine. It says that the famine is severe. So they've traveled to where God has told them to go. And when they get there, they find themselves in the midst of a very desperate situation. Now, for most of us, the, the idea of a famine might seem strange. My kids tell me they're starving when they've only gone just a few hours without eating. And, and I feel like if I'm starving, uh, if I go 24 hours, uh, right, because like intermittent fasting is the cool thing to do now, right? 
Uh, I've tried it. It's awful. You should try it if you want to. Whatever. But the closest thing that I've experienced to a famine was during the beginning stages of COVID. Or do you guys remember what happened during Hurricane Sandy? We would go to the grocery store and the shelves would be mostly empty. And even in that moment, I could start to feel a little sense of fear. During Sandy, I don't remember people being too crazy at the grocery store, but there were a few people acting crazy at the gas pump. Do you remember this? Remember, you had to wait in a really long line to get gas, and there's a chance that they might run out by the time that you would get to the front of the line. There were even a few occasions that, that people got into fights because someone thought that they had skipped the line. And I remember even one time, I think it was in our neighborhood, someone actually pulled a gun on another person for some gas. But this famine, this famine in this text was so bad that Abram felt like he had to leave the land that God had promised to them and go to Egypt out of fear of starving to death. And as he's about to enter Egypt, he thinks that he might be confronted with another desperate situation, one that again could take his life. And this time his concern isn't about food, but it's about how beautiful his wife is. Abram is afraid that his wife is so beautiful that the ruler of the land they are traveling to might have him killed just to have her. So he devises a plan, a plan where his wife Sarai will tell a half-truth. He tells Sarai that when the Egyptians ask who she is and what her relationship is to Abram, she should tell them that she is his sister, which, if you remember from the previous text, isn't exactly a lie. It's a half-truth, because Sarai is his half-sister. Now, now, ladies, let me just talk to you for a minute uh, before you get all mad at Abram. This is actually kind of like a low-key compliment, right? If your man says to you, babe, you're so beautiful, I'm afraid that the ruler of another country might steal you away, so I want you to lie about our relationship, you might feel a little good about yourself, right? No? You're, you're, not, you're not buying it? Okay. Men, note, note to self, don't try this line on your wife. It, it will not work. But listen to the way that Abram weaves his argument together to Sarai in verses 12 and 13. How does he weave it together? He says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. And then in verse 13, he says, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. He's weaving this argument together with her in such a way that almost makes it impossible for her to say no to his lie. And now he's put Sarai in a difficult, desperate situation. Do I want my husband to die? Or can I just tell a little half 
truth, and it will go well with me because I won't have to deal with Abram anymore, and it will potentially go well with him because he will live. You see, what's happening, though, in this, in this text is Abram is ready to compromise their marriage and to put her life in danger to save his own. Listen to the end of verse 13 again. That my life may be spared for your sake. It almost sounds like Abram is saying, don't you want my life to be spared? But let's, let's do an assessment of the situation first. This might not be as selfish as it seems at first. He, he might actually be trying to protect his family and buy time, because surely he thinks in some way he can get her back. Even in the wording in, in the text in verse 10, he tells, it tells us that Abram went to Egypt to sojourn there. This means to travel through. And in other words, it means he plans to go there just to wait out the famine and return to Canaan. He doesn't plan to stay here forever, and surely at some point he's devising this escape plan in which he takes his wife back to go to Canaan. But we can almost in some sense appreciate the situation that he feels like he's stuck in. He's stuck between what he perceives to be two options of death, famine or Pharaoh. But, but here's the issue. Here's the big deal that, for what's happening here. Abram is trying to fix a perceived problem by sinning his way out of it. Abram is trying to fix a perceived problem by sinning his way out of it. And let me just say to you, at this moment, everyone in the room should start to feel a sense of discomfort when you realize that this text has now turned from a story of Abram to a story about you and me. Because the text is now describing a situation that almost all of us have been faced with. Here, here's the situation. You're at work. You're at school. You're at some sort of social situation. And you want the people there to like you or at least respect you. So in the course of conversation, you ever so slightly bend the truth to make yourself look a little bit better. We often justify ourselves because it's just a little bending of the truth. Who's it going to hurt really? And even if it does hurt someone a, a little bit, people should still like me. They will still like me. And the, the end will justify the means. Maybe you've even gone to the same length that Abram goes to in this text to involve others in your lie. And we bring them into our lie to save face and perpetuate the lie. We must understand when we do that, when we choose to sin, to try to make ourselves look better or to get out of a particular situation, we must understand what we are doing. Because in our text, you are a beautiful woman, sounds a lot like the woman you gave me. When we lie and we sin, 
to try to get our way, we're really sinning against God by not trusting Him. Remember in the beginning of chapter 12? What did God promise Abram? Look, look back with me, chapter 12, verse 2. God makes this promise to Abram at the beginning of this chapter, and he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. How does Abram think God is going to do that? How is God going to make him a great nation if Abram is dead? How is God going to make Abram a great nation if he has no wife and no children? Let me say this to you as clearly as I possibly can. Desperate times will encourage us to forget the promises of God. Desperate times will encourage us to forget the promises of God. I'm going to encourage you again later, but if you're in a desperate situation right now, and if you hope to do the right thing in the midst of this desperate, difficult situation, you must focus and remember the promises of God. Now, men, let, let me speak to you for a minute. And let me encourage you, young men, um, you need to learn this now. Even if the idea of getting married is distant and far off, uh, young, young men, boys, are you planning to get married anytime soon? Colton, are you getting married next year? No? Good, good. Let me just say to you, young men, now is the time to learn these principles, okay? Because here's the truth. We can be a lot like Abram. Stereotypical of men, we see a problem, and what we want to do, men, we want to fix it. But in the process, we can get distracted and try to go about it in the wrong way. Let me just speak to something even that's happening culturally around us right now. In the world today, there seems to be a push back to traditional masculinity. And, and I don't know if this is just because, like, on my feed, I search, like, hunting and cars, so they only push man stuff to me. I don't know. But it seems like in the culture today, there's more voices that are encouraging men to be what they think are traditional men. Let me just say to you, some of that is actually good. Men should work hard to provide for their ham families. They should be the ones... Uh, around that others can depend on. They shouldn't shrink back when given a hard task. But with all this push, they're leaving out the most important task I think a husband should provide to his wife. Here's, I want to put this in clear terms for you. If you would just turn over in your Bible with me really quickly to Ephesians chapter 5, because we're, we're still having this discussion about husbands and wives. How, how should a husband think about life with his wife. Ephesians chapter 9, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. I'm, I'm not trying to add stuff on the Bible. There is no Ephesians chapter 9. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. What does it say? For no one 
has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now, if I take this passage out of context, I could very easily say, see, Abram is doing the right thing. He's cherishing and nourishing himself by providing for himself by not being killed, although he does have to send his wife off to Pharaoh. The problem is we have to answer the question, what does it mean to nourish and cherish? Thankfully, the text tells us back in verse 25 through 27, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25, it says this, "'Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. You see, the primary concern that a husband should have for his wife is helping her grow in her walk with Christ, meaning he should be helping her to live a holy life. Let me say this another way. The primary concern for us as husbands is not if you live in a big house or have food on the table, although you should be concerned about that too, But what it's saying here is that your primary concern should be helping your wife to know and live the Bible. And husbands, unlike Abram, we might have to die to ourselves to make that work. That's why in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul compares how a husband loves his wife to how Christ loved the church and died for it. You see, in these passages, there is a wonderful theology about what God is actually like, but there's also a very condemning theology, an anthropology of what we are often like as men. We must be very careful, men, that we don't think that what we're doing that's worldly is necessary for our wives and those in our lives. Now, ladies, I know that this passage seems like it's exclusively a man issue, but let me assure you that it's not. As I mentioned before, it's not unusual for us to find ourselves in a situation where we want to tell a small lie to impress someone. Especially in a social media culture, we live in the temptation to make our lives look better than they really are, as greater than it's ever been. We post the highlights of our lives all the while we're hurting inside. We bend the truth to paint ourselves in a different light. The point in this particular text is not to just put Adam, or excuse me, Abram under the spotlight, but it's to reveal in all of us where we may have navigated off the path of living a holy life and chosen to try to do our th- the way, do things the way that we want to do to make ourselves look in a certain light. Now, one of the issues that we see in this particular passage and one of the issues that you may have experienced in your own life is that sometimes our sinful, desperate measures sin to work. This is one of the biggest problems with sin. At first, it seems to work. Look at verse 14 of Genesis chapter 12. 
Genesis chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful. And in my mind, I imagine Abram turning to Sarai and saying, I told you I was right. The text in verse 16 even uses the same words Abram uses in verse 13. Verse 16 says, and for her sake, or excuse me, yeah, and for her sake, he dwelt well with Abram. At this moment, it seemed that Abram's plans worked out better than he planned. Not only did they not kill him, they gave him all kinds of gifts. Look at the end of verse 16. They give him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, candle or camels. What's happening here is since Sarai's father is not in the picture, Abram as her brother is paid a dowry. He's paid a lavish bride price because of her beauty. Mm. Abram at this point must think he's some kind of genius or some kind of master planner or something of that nature. This is a huge problem, isn't it? Even though he gets a lavish bride price, he loses his wife. And I don't think he realizes it yet, but he may have just exchanged the promise of God for earthly wealth. And we're going to say much more on this later, but thank God our actions can't cancel out God's plan. Because what happens is that God uses the sinful actions of people to accomplish his plan. There's some significant foreshadowing that's happening in this passage. It's going to be duplicated throughout the scriptures. What may be coming to mind already is Joseph and Moses, people who go into Egypt and then leave Egypt wealthier and more prosperous than when they entered. But let me just say this to you as clearly as I possibly can. Just because something works at first doesn't mean that it's right or that it will work again. Let me say that to you again. Just because something works at first doesn't mean it's right or that it will work again. Recently, you might have made a decision that you felt was your only decision in a situation. But you knew that the decision wasn't the most honoring to God. But it seems to have worked. And this can actually apply to acting in a way you shouldn't or refusing to act when you know you should. And I would suggest that most of the sins we commit fall into the second category. We know what we're supposed to do but we don't do it because it's hard. But today, brothers and sisters, one of the most beautiful things that's happening in this particular passage is that a loving God, through the example of Abram, is calling you to do the right thing. If you have made a decision that does not honor the Lord, repent and turn to doing the right thing the right way. But let me give you a caution too. And this might be the most terrifying caution from this particular passage that I could give to you. 
If you have been able to sin over and over with no conviction and no consequence, let me just encourage you to consider you may be outside of the family of God. The Lord, our loving Father, does not allow his children to go on without correcting them. If you haven't received the correction of the Lord, you might not be one of his children. But here's what normally happens. Sometimes, often, our desperate measures bring about desperate times. There's a big question in this particular text that happens right at this point in verses 17 through 19. The question is, how does Pharaoh find out that Sarai is Abram's wife? Well, as I mentioned before, the Lord will not allow the sin of his children to go on without correcting. The text tells us in verse 17 that the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. And your mind should be drawn again to another Old Testament passage where Moses is leading Israel out of Egypt. And somehow God makes it clear to Pharaoh that these plagues are happening in this text because of Sarai being in his home. And Pharaoh, upon learning this, calls Abram before him. And no, this wasn't some kind of friendly house visit. Abram has to be shaking in his boots. All that genius talk, all that I told you so talk is now out the window. The very thing that he was trying to prevent may now happen. Pharaoh has found out the truth and potentially has summoned Abram to kill him. Let me just suggest to you that oftentimes in our lives, we can fall into the same trap. We do things our way on our term with the expectation that God will bless it. And that is not how it works. But also be reminded from this text that your sin affects more than you. In this text, Pharaoh actually thinks he's doing the right thing, but the sin of Abram has a great effect. Not only that, if you consider the life of Abram, the life of a parent, patterns of sin have a history of repeating themselves in the lives of the children. Abram doesn't learn his lesson fully here, and he does the same thing in just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Abram journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned into Gerar. And Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. I do think it's important here to see the patience of God with us, that even though we repeat sins, God still uses us and forgives us. But almost as important is to recognize that the sins that you may be perpetuating now could be passed on even to your children. Because his own son Isaac repeats this sin in Genesis chapter 26, verses 6 and 7. He says almost exactly the same thing of his wife Rebekah. Here's what's happening. This has to like sink way into our hearts and minds. Erickson, in his systematic theology book, says this. What some people 
consider freedom to sin, freedom from the restrictions of obedience to the will of God, is actually the enslavement that sin produces. You've experienced this in your own life. Once you lie, you have to keep lying to keep up the lie. You have to perpetuate what is happening. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 says it this way. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." You see, sin always has consequences that are greater than we can imagine and will impact things in a greater way than we can conceive. But here's where this story makes a beautiful turn. What happens for Abram and what happens to us is that our desperate measures meet a determined God. As I said already, this is a foreshadowing of events in the nation of Israel. Think about the parallels between Joseph. Famine, death to males while females are preserved, plagues bring departure, summons before Pharaoh, and then return to Canaan with great wealth. But there's one glaring difference in the story of Joseph versus the story of Abram. Joseph has every opportunity to do wrong, and he doesn't, while Abram struggles to do right. But in this text, I think that God's already working out for us the blessings that he's given to Abram. If you remember, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. You see, the reality is the promise isn't fully about Abram. It's about God and his glory. And when you mess with the plans and law of God, there will be consequences in this life and the next. There's so much more that could be said about this, but I want to say it in a way that's specific so that you can apply it to your life. And I want to start out by going back to the beginning of the passage before we come back to this idea of what it means that a a determined God meets our desperate measures. Two questions that I, I think that we have to ask ourselves out of this passage. Here's as specifically and as tightly as I can get it. What sin are you currently justifying? Abram's sin was the justification of a lie to be able to protect himself from death. But the question that it begs of us is, what sin are you currently perpetuating that you have justified how okay it is or in other words, what desperate situation are you trying to use desperate measures to get out of? And let me just say to you, honestly, if you're not in that type of situation at the moment, 
It's only a matter of time where you're going to be faced with a difficult situation where you're going to have to make a difficult decision. And if you are not in a situation that feels different, thank the Lord for that being the case. But now is a time to build a plan for when you are confronted with a difficult situation and you're tempted to sin. Young people, kids, look up here at me for a second. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.